Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Do you know this is three weeks in a row? You said we were going to try for three weeks in a row, and I honestly thought that by dinner time tonight it was touch and go as to whether or not this was happening today. Well, you know, I was wondering whether or not you were going to get out of the chair. I was we watched st- the race and then I was watching happened. the post race coverage. Then you like <clears throat> summarily turned everything off. I did and said we, if we're going to record, you have to go make dinner now. Well, I did because it was late and we needed to keep things moving along. And shockingly, um, ESPN didn't cut away from post race coverage as quickly as they normally do. I was a little surprised by that. I was impressed, but I was surprised by that. I was really hoping that they were anticipating the big news that came out of the race and thus planned on the fact they weren't going to cut away from the coverage. That would be my hope. And that, you know, maybe they were going to see if they, if Sky was going to get a post-race interview with Lewis on top of the two he already did. I know. Lots of interviews with Lewis. Yeah. Have a feeling he's going to be doing that for a while. Yeah, probably. And BBC will probably, and, and Formula One are probably going to have special podcast show broadcast things too no that's momentous i will say this that because he's been so protective of you know with the covid and you know all of that i really loved these so what are you going to do to celebrate oh i think i'm going to go back and have some minestrone soup and i might have a glass of wine yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm like lewis you know he's probably going to do a little netflix (laughs) that's it well i mean this is Really, the question now is we have three races left in the season. And in the past, when Lewis has won the the Drivers' Championship before the end of the season, despite saying otherwise, he very clearly takes his foot off the gas Mm -hmm. and tends to admit it later on. (laughs) Is that what's going to happen this year? I don't know. I don't know. Because he is truthfully in the rarest form I've ever seen him. Mm -hmm. I mean, these past two years, and I will grant, I think it's been the last two years specifically, he's been a level above even where he was before that. And doesn't let anything interfere Mm -mm. or distract. He's gotten himself mature enough to incredibly embrace tunnel vision. And young Lewis... I mean, he'd throw an entire season away because, you know, Nicole didn't take his call or something. Yeah. I mean, I think that, honestly, I think him healing from that relationship is probably (laughs) one of the best things that ever happened to him. So we have news. We do. We have news. And I, I will admit that for most American fans, you're gonna be like what we do for our first story. But the reality is, you know more about this than you think. So um, we got word this week that Channel 4's F1 commentator Ben Edwards is stepping down. Now, to be clear, this is Channel 4. This is not Sky. So if you're in the U.S., you don't hear Ben Edwards too much unless you watch Drive to Survive. And a lot of times his commentary is what you hear. You hear a mix of both the Sky stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And you hear a mix of the Channel 4 stuff, and you hear a lot of Ben Edwards. Ben Edwards has been partnered in the commentary box alongside David Cothard since 2012. Wow. First with the BBC, then transitioned over to Channel 4 when uh, they picked up the rights 
uh, for the free-to-air Formula One coverage in the UK. Now, Ben Edwards, for us, is the person who introduced us to the phrase, lights out and away we go. So there we are, all the cars moving into place. The last two cars, the two Manor Mauritius of Will Stevens and Alexander Rossi making his debut in Formula One. The Singapore Grand Prix all set to go. Lights out, away we go, and it's a good start from Daniel Ricciardo. We've got a yellow car stopped uh, on the grid, but Raikkonen are making a pretty good getaway. He's going to go wheel-to-wheel with Kvyat. Hamilton's trying to join in, having to use a bit of curve, and as they come yes. through, Rosberg <laughs> now under pressure from Valtteri Bottas. Ros- that is uh, Ben. Now, he did the race calling. Kothar does the color commentary. So that if you want to like, yeah, understand like, that way. Yeah. You know, what side of, of which... Um, so he was, he was the guy that talked a lot about the, the more technical pieces of the process. Yeah. Um, so he, he's worked in formula one since 1995 and lent his voice to a number of other motorsports championships, including cart and British touring cars throughout his career. Uh, but he's also a racer in his own spare time. Oh, is he? Now I, I I don't know what he's driving, but Yeah. Okay. Uh, however, David Cothar did say that Ben is first and foremost in my eyes a racer. Combine that with an attention to detail and encyclopedic knowledge of Formula One, and what you have is an individual who is unique in his broadcasting role. I consider it one of the many privileges I've enjoyed during my time in motorsport that I had the opportunity to spend nine years standing beside Ben in the commentary box. So it's a shame. We don't know what he's doing or who's going to replace him, but... Um, I, I will say, I pref- really liked his commentary. I preferred his commentary, obviously, as we said over the years, to anything we got from Speed and from NBC Sports. Well, yes. Now, I'm hard-pressed to make a, a preference call between Ben and Ted Kravitz. Um, not Ted Kravitz, David Croft, you're thinking. David Croft. Okay, one of the C's. Da- David Croft is the one in the commentary box alongside Martin Brundle. Ted Kravitz would normally be your pit lane reporter um, alongside Tom Clarkson over at BBC and Channel 4. Um, Tom Clarkson, who's moved off to the Formula One podcast, the one that, that Formula One management puts out. Mm-hmm. Uh on the grid. Mm, right. Uh, he, he's moved on to that one. Uh, but Tom Clarkson and then Ted Kravitz would essentially be his counterpart over at Sky. Got it. So I can't draw a line as to which commentary group I really like better or worse. Because I, I tell you, you know, when you think about the color side of the commentary, David Cothard, Martin Brundle, you've got both, you know, mm-hmm. ex-racers. You've got people that really know it. I almost lean a little bit heavier towards Martin Brundle. I think he's got a perspective that's very um, timeless in a lot of ways. He he covered a lot different time of Formula One than Cothard covered. True. And, and, and Brundle's been a commentator for quite a while. One of the things that Martin Brundle, though, as much as we're drifting off here, but Martin Brundle has been given the credit for is the start of the grid walk. Oh, so as much as you watch Martin Brundle on the grid nowadays, and it's like, yeah, sometimes it's pretty, and normal world, not COVID world. 
normal world, him walking on a grid, sometimes it's kind of okay, sometimes it's interesting, and a lot of times it's kind of net. And then you watch David Cothard and Mark Webber on there, and it's a laugh a minute. And especially if somebody goes and snubs David Cothard, look out. <laughs> he does not take that well. <laughs> he does not. Um, yeah, no. I, I will tell you, Cothard... Cothard specifically, Cothard Weber combo amps it up a level. Um, but Cothard is the master at the grid walk. He you know is what would so be good. the best combo? David Cothard, Mark Weber, and Jensen Button. Oh, but would they talk to anybody but each other? Probably not. They would just rip on each other the whole time. And why Jensen Button? Well, let's just go. And remember this. No, JB, um, I had a word. You off, can I? I, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm, I, I, you're like a magnet. I keep coming to you. Um, yeah. Got you difficult. Oh. I find it difficult to ask you when you're right down the back there, but you're, you're going to have some fun at the start, aren't See, you? The only reason why he's interviewing me is because I've come up for the national anthem. He wouldn't go all the way back down there. It's too far for you, isn't it? At my age, definitely. But you're young and fit. You do triathlons. Possibly one of the most hilarious grid walks that we've ever had. It was almost like an advert for Tinder with those two on the grid. You can imagine a night out with Jensen and DC. I'm telling you, they wouldn't talk to any drivers. They would get no information. But the two of them would be absolutely hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we're saying goodbye to Ben Edwards. And somehow that led to talking about DC and his grid walks with Mark Webber and yeah, I know. I, I, I kind of dragged us off there. But it, okay, DC, commentary box buddies. Yeah, I mean. I'm quite sure that we could find a Venn diagram that combines all of these things there together. There you go. <laughs> but um, trying to keep this ship on a somewhat of a course, let's keep moving forward. All right. So speaking of ships, um, possibly running with that a helmsman. Was Williams this week? That was good. Um, I just keep setting them up, and you keep smacking <laughs> them down. So this si is why we do not do commentary. Yeah, pretty much. Um, acting team principal uh, Simon Roberts over at Williams uh, did not travel to Turkey this weekend for the race. He tested positive for COVID prior to departure. Ah, well, see, that's the way you do that, Stroll family. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? You know, the the more I have learned about that, and we weren't going to talk about this, <laughs> but the more I have learned about this, the more bizarre that story gets. Mm -hmm. So yes, Lawrence tested positive, and Lance tested positive. Lawrence wasn't with Lance. Lawrence was in England and tested positive when he got back to Switzerland. Lance was in Germany. And tested positive when he went back to Switzerland. Oh, I didn't know that because I had heard... I didn't realize that either. I had thought that the two of them shared a plane back to Switzerland. That was my assumption as well. But apparently, Lawrence was back in England doing stuff for Aston Martin. Since he's also in charge of Aston Martin now since he bought them. Well, maybe the private jet that took Lance <clears throat> to Switzerland made a pit stop to pick Daddy up. I know. Lance sneezed, and he didn't wipe it up, and then Lawrence touched it, and now he got sick too. 
Okay, except that our own CDC says that that's the least likely way that you're going to catch COVID. All right, fine. <laughs> so maybe we could like stop <clears throat> with everybody having to be hosed down all the time. Anyway. Anyway, wash your hands, wear a mask, keep distant from each other. Don't get COVID. Don't be like Racing Point. Don't be like Lance. Yeah. Okay. Um, we knew it was coming last week. Because <laughs> we had breaking news last week. It's not breaking news this week. But we have the provisional calendar for 2021. Now, the, the and as much as Formula One says that this is the provisional calendar because it hasn't been brought to World Motorsport Council for approval, um, there's still a couple of contract pieces that are, that are still being sorted out. The reality is this is still provisional because even after World Motorsport Council approves it, we don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, I think we have to admit that at least for the early part, we have things in jeopardy because winter and cold and flu season is going to start happening and that's going to ramp everything up again. I, well, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue with winter and cold and flu. I mean, remember, we go down to australia in the in their fall right but i think that what we're going to see is most everybody else is coming from the northern hemisphere yes we start in the southern hemisphere but we come from the northern hemisphere where people are going through this and i think there's also covid fatigue there is but it's really going to be dependent on the numbers in these individual countries less about where folks are coming from and what the numbers are in the countries that we're headed to. Well, okay, so in my day job, mm-hmm. just to brag for a minute, I'm about to attend a virtual, I have, I've got a speaking engagement in Australia, mm-hmm. but it's got to be done virtually. And one of the reasons it has to be done virtually is they are not accepting airplanes. Yeah. Period. And the, my contact that's in Australia, um, her family is in California. And she's like, I can't go home. I leave the country. I can't come back. It's like, whoa. She's like, I can leave as long as I don't want to come back right now. And that's going to be one of the questions is, you know, right now, we believe that the Australian government is going to let Formula One in. We don't know that for sure. Right. And it's the same with some of these others. Now, what we have heard is that um, they are working with local officials in Australia to not just have an, uh, to not just bring Formula One in and have their weekend, but they do want to have several thousand fans in attendance. They're saying up to about ten thousand, which is probably significantly smaller than what you would normally see at a race weekend at Albert Park. Mm-hmm. But work is actually actively going on at Albert Park. There are some improvements some renovations that that have been going on but work to to prep albert park to host formula one in 2021 is ongoing well that's awesome news i mean australia because of their lockdown and the way that they have approached it they've had multiple (coughs) days with zero cases Mm -hmm. um in fact i think they're going on weeks now so they're going to be very insistent on trying to keep it that way yeah but it's what they can do to protect and I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this next season goes as we are facing globally a second wave. I mean, that's just the way this is. So if we have things as normal 
here's what the calendar would look like. Uh, for starters, we're talking about just a single test session, three days in Bahrain. Oh, okay. Um, and it is, I don't have a date. <laughs> Sometime in the winter. Yeah. Um, date is unclear, but expected to be early March. Um, that way they can extend the winter break following the late finish to this year's season. Now, admittedly, late finish is what, a week to two weeks? Yeah. But yeah, we don't have a date set, but the intention is that they're going to Bahrain, not Spain. Um, not the least of which is because the Spanish Grand Prix is provisional right now because there's no contracts line for that track. Oh. So, and I don't have all the provisional lists, but the, the season is expected to start if things go as planned. March 21st in Australia. Uh, the following week, March 28th, heads to Bahrain. April 11th for the Chinese Grand Prix. And then April 25th is currently listed as to be confirmed. Um, that was the original Vietnamese Grand Prix. That, that was what they had, had plotted out for the Vietnamese Grand Prix. Uh, the leading contenders that we're hearing from the rumors um, for that spot, because they Formula One is insistent that they still want to host a race, um, which I think the teams are not particularly thrilled about, but... They want to host a race. So the two leading contenders that I have heard, um, one is Malaysia, which would we be, predicted would be kind of cool. Um, the other one that I've heard batted around, and I don't know what's going to happen after this weekend, is Turkey. Hmm. Uh, I think if it went particularly well, Turkey had had a fighting chance. What we don't know is because of the issues with the traction, this was obviously a very unusual race. We don't know what the future could be there. We do well, know that the Turks want them there. Well, the hope would be that they wouldn't <clears throat> lay down new tarmac right before the race next year. Well, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and when we get into our conversation about this weekend, the, the tarmac will be an issue. Um, but the thought is six months from now, that track should be very different, especially if they host events at it exactly. and do more than just use it as a car park. Exactly. Um, but anyway, April 25th to be confirmed as of right now, May 9th, the Spanish Grand Prix, again, to be confirmed pending contractual, uh, obligations being sorted out. Uh, May 23rd to Monaco, June 6th to Azerbaijan. And, and that means that actually we will not have Monaco over Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend, I believe. Hold. Double check that. Hold, please. As much as Fernando Alonso has been told by Renault that they don't want him running in, in the Indy 500, are we about to have a no-conflict weekend? Um, Memorial Day is the last Monday in May or the fourth Monday in May? Last. If it is the last Monday in May, then it is not that weekend. Because wow. the 23rd, the Memorial Day would be the 31st. So we may not have a conflict for the Indy 500 in Monaco this year. Um, from Monaco, 
the teams go to Azerbaijan, uh, and that is June 6th. And then from there, instead of going from Canada to Azerbaijan, they're going from Azerbaijan to Canada. Okay. Uh, and with a week. Uh, from Canada to the French Grand Prix on June 27th. So Paul Ricard is potentially back. Sorry. Um, July 4th is the Austrian Grand Prix. July 18th, the British Grand Prix. August 1st is the Hungarian Grand Prix. And then we have the spring break or the, the mid-season break. It's not the spring break. It's the summer break. Um, break com- ends on August 29th with the Belgian Grand Prix. Followed by, on September 5th, the Dutch Grand Prix, not Monza. Interesting. Um, From Zandvoort, then we go to Monza on September 12th. September 26th is the Russian Grand Prix. October 3rd to Singapore. October 10th to Japan. You know what I don't see on here? Interesting. Oh, no, I'm sorry. After Italy, we go to Russia. I, I missed that. September 12th is Italy. September 26th is Russia. October 3rd is Singapore. I skipped over Russia. I was like, wait a minute. Did, did Russia get punted? But no, <laughs> it, it, it did not. Uh, October 10th will be Japan. October 24th, uh, Austin. October 31st, uh, Mexico City. Uh, November 14th, Sao Paulo and Interlagos as we mentioned last week. And then on December 5th will be the last race of the season again in Abu Dhabi. Now, we mentioned last week that Sao Paulo was getting the nod for next year because um, of the various concerns around the event in Rio. Um, We have actually heard now that Sao Paulo got a five-year deal. So Rio's not coming... In the near future. Rio is probably off the, the table because not only is this a five-year deal, but it has an option for another five-year extension. Wow. Now, I had heard something, and I, and I don't know how this played into it, but one of the rumors that I had heard and the reason was that the reason that Rio got pushed off the table was because of issues with the television rights. And that they couldn't get television contracts in place for Rio. And I don't understand what the deal was there. Um, We do know that the world feed does rely on local broadcasting assets. And maybe it was a matter of that the the local broadcaster didn't want to go to Rio. But I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what happened there. And the Saudis. We mentioned the Saudis. The Saudis will be on uh, November 28th. Oh, I skipped them too, didn't I? Yeah, you had a real hard time with, you know, dates. November 14th is Brazil. November 28th is Saudi Arabia. December 5th is Abu Dhabi. That's it. That's how that works. We'll get it on the calendar. It'll make sense once we get closer. Can you get it on the right calendar this time? Maybe. Make no promises. Still didn't fix it. (laughs) Well, I... I have not, I did not update the calendar with the, these last races. I did not get to that. So that's why they're not on our calendar. Either. So what's happened is that every weekend it's been, surprise, we have a race. Surprise, there's no race. <laughs> Kinda, maybe. And then you blame me because I go places and I'm like, I have, I'm working off of a calendar here. I do blame you. 
You know, I, I got to say, well, let me talk about Saudi Arabia first <laughs> before we go to that. And, and th- that'll be my, my, my lead across here. So the Saudis in the official announcement mm-hmm. have said that they are designing the track because they want to make they want to design an exciting and thrilling track. Oh, do they? Now it's a street track. They've admitted that initially in Jeddah this is going to be a street track, and it's going to be in a built-up area known as the Corniche Waterfront. Okay. I, I don't know much about it, but they've signed with, with Herman Tilke, which it means um, it's not going to be a great track. Well, it means the odds are slim. However. Turkey, where we were this weekend, is considered one of his best tracks. So I don't know. The odds are the <laughs> odds are not in his favor. <laughs> However, he can, when he really put well, actually in this case, maybe before he really learned a whole lot, because that was early in his career when he designed. So Turkey. what we need is Herman Tilke amnesia. Yeah. But, okay, you're burying the lead here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, you totally buried it. So the Saudis are prioritizing pass. They're claiming that they're going to prioritize passing mm-hmm. on the track as opposed to any other requirement for the, the track. Mm-hmm. So that it gives the fans a good show. And I think that's an awesome idea. But in order to have passing, what do you need? And this is why Herman Tilke is the perfect designer for this, because it needs wide tracks. Yeah. And Herman Tilke loves his wide tracks with wide runoffs. And then guess what happens? The whole string stretches out because they use all of the track. (laughs) And then we have no passing. So. I I don't know what to tell the Saudis. I'm telling you that I think that really and truly, if they were committed to we race as one and increasing diversity, they would have a female designer of the track. I'm not giving this up yet. <laughs> female driver and a female driver designer of the track. So what the Saudis are saying, <laughs> they're saying our goal is to make it an exciting and thrilling race. We don't want it to be one of those boring races where there is no overtaking. For us, we are hosting F1 because we want to bring the excitement. And what I can tell you is we're doing our best to make it an exciting race. It's not only about the scenery or the environment or the sporting events that we're planning to do. For us, it's racing. So it needs to be exciting. It needs to be fast. If you see the Corniche, you are going to have an idea that it's not going to be a slow race. Our goal is to make it exciting and thrilling with a lot of overtaking. So they're going to try to build Monza. Monza, so Prince Khaled, who was the one who was speaking, said that um, we love seeing the event in Monaco. It's a lovely event, but in terms of racing, there's no overtaking. It's not that exciting. So for us, we want to create a street race where it looks nice, where the event and the environment is nice, but at the same time, it's a thrilling race. And just turning around and saying, we want the cars to go fast. Again, look at Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan has wide sections. Mm -hmm. It has very fast sections. And where everybody thought that the Super Mario Grand Prix over by the castle was going to be exciting and interesting, a lot of times it's not. It has lots of wrecks. That's about it. 
The biggest problem I have with Azerbaijan is actually that it's two straits in opposition to each other. They run down a major long straight highway. (laughs) Well, that's the join between the two sections. If you really look at how that is laid out, you have really long straight to kind of a loopy flowy part that goes by the the super mario's castle princess peach's castle get it right okay (laughs) then you get to another that loops you around to a straightaway that's your opposite straightaway to to a series of 90 degree turns to get you back to the other straightaway well yeah called streets (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's why we don't have a race in manhattan (laughs) oh could you imagine like the most exciting part would be Broadway because it's diagonal. <laughs> <laughs> they'd, they'd make them run through Times Square and have it crisscross. Oh well, that wouldn't be <laughs> that wouldn't be a disaster or anything. Blue flags would take on a whole new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we get to the race already? I want to talk about the blue okay. flags. Well, we were in, real quick. What's new for Formula One Cause in twenty twenty one? Because there is. You know, we've talked that the cars aren't really changing, and we're right, but there's still some changing. Okay, so what is changing for the non-technical person? Because I have not had a chance to sit down with the entire technical regulation book and the sporting regulations. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. You need to get on your homework. You know, you've been reading about planning and zoning around a golf course lately, but nothing on Formula One and reading the the the, uh, the technical regulations. I'm very disappointed. It is the photo study, the photogenic <clears throat> study that is currently obsessing my time as to how far light travels and <laughs> at what levels is appropriate on a golf course. You know, the the organizers in Bahrain could use that information for the night race. I'd call them, but I'm a girl. Okay, so new floor <laughs> rules. Um, th- there's some changes to the design of the floor that's coming about in response to the ever-increasing amount of downforce that the team is delivering, which, you know, it causes more tire wear, and, and it makes it, to some extent, a bit easier for the, the cars, and right. easier for the drivers. Um, so the original plan was to have a diagonal cut in the floor ahead of the rear tire, which reduced the the team's ability to manipulate the airflow by introducing slots, holes, and shaped aerodynamic furniture in that region of the floor. Um, What they've discovered is that this wouldn't be enough to meet the 10% reduction target that they were looking for. Um, So they've gone even further, and they now present the designers from having any fully enclosed holes in the rear rear section of the floor um, because they thought that if so, the teams would be able to find performance in that area. Um, additionally, there's some changes in how much the floor can flex. So it used to be that they were allowed to have a 10 millimeter tolerance for flexing. Now they, it can only move eight millimeters. Okay. Um, some changes to the diffuser and other aerodynamic bits and pieces. Um, the minimum weight of the car has been increased by a further three kilograms for 2021. So max weight is 749 kilograms, but the minimum weight, oh, and the minimum weight of the power unit is increasing as well. Um, they're going to raise that to 150 kilograms. Okay. The thought there is you lessen to some extent the need for some of these more exotic materials that 
the the manufacturers will put in there to try and save weight so maybe there's a little less carbon fiber kind of a thing but i don't know i think if if you're already running an engine that, that that's that light and you know that you have a performance you you want to keep it that light so i yeah I had really hoped that the weight situation was a lot more around ensuring that the drivers didn't have to be anorexic. Well, there's that. Um, there's also going to be some changes. Well, we, we knew about the ECU modes. That's staying in place. We, I, I don't really like it, but hasn't really done anything to impact the racing, which is all the more reason why I don't like it. Well, that and, you know, what's so funny about it is everybody, you know, hated on the party mode for Mercedes and they Mm -hmm. still, this weekend accepted, they still were on the front row. Yeah. So, yeah, party mode was obviously the only reason. Um, There's some, without getting into the detail, there's some changes to the wastegate tailpipe and the design there and how it can be done. The design is going to be simpler is really all you need to know. You know, I have been wondering if they were going to simplify the wastegate after the last time I had to read the technical regulations. You were more set on the design of the monkey seat. (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) Who would not be? (laughs) Once I figured out what the heck that was. Yeah, well. (laughs) So as we knew, no DOS next year. Yeah, which is really sad. Yeah. You know, heaven forbid we actually find something that makes a difference. But the other thing is some changes to materials that are going to be allowed. So under the permitted material section of the technical regulations, natural fibers such as flax, such as uh, flex, hemp, linen, cotton, and bamboo are now allowed. Okay. And do you mean flax? <clears throat> F-L-A-X? That's what I thought, but it's written as flex. It could be flex. Flax. Flax would make more sense to me. But what's written here says flex. Okay. So uh, maybe both. I don't know what natural <clears throat> material is flex, but yeah. somebody, one of our keen listeners will write in and tell us what it is. And then I will feel foolish that somehow I don't know what this is. But so they can use hemp and uh, bamboo. Cotton and linen. Interesting. So, and, and I guess the question is... Can these materials provide the the stiffness and the strength that the teams need to replace carbon fiber? I would bet bamboo areas? probably could. Well, that that's the question: is if you can can shape bamboo and it'll be light enough. Um, you know, one of the benefits here is as much as we see a lot of carbon fiber, when carbon fiber is damaged, it leaves lots of sharp bits everywhere. Mm-hmm. So one of the potential hopes here, besides the fact that these are renewable and sustainable uh, materials as opposed to carbon fiber, which is part of the drive here, but that some of these other materials, when there was damage, wouldn't necessarily rain sharp debris that could puncture tires and such. That would be interesting. It would be interesting to see what happens to the skin. Like, Mm -hmm. could you skin it? differently because you have these moldable materials yeah um they they are further clamping down on the use of oil and lubricants as a method of boosting combustion because this is 
apparently still an issue. I, did they uh, not get the memo? Yeah. Um, two new fuel flow meters uh, with different anti-aliasing properties are being used to defeat the purpose of what used to be just one meter. Um, also, the number of specifications used throughout the season have been pulled back with just the previous season season's formulations and one new set being allowed for 2021. Um, and then the last thing is all of the new stuff to stop somebody from copying somebody else's car, which honestly, it's less of an issue for next year. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's only good for one year. The next year we have the major revamp. Everybody's got to come up with something new. You can't roll out last year's car, you know, your 21 car in 22. It doesn't work that way. Right. So, yeah, but I get it to some extent, not a lot. I don't. I disagree. I fundamentally disagree. I called Ross Braun and he and I had heated words. Whoa, howdy, did we have heated words. Well, there was a whole lot of, this is your fault. He did not appreciate that, by the way. And just so you are aware, we have not been invited to the Braun household for Boxing Day this year. Really? Now I'm upset. I'm sorry. I'm really annoyed at you now. Okay, in full disclosure, we weren't was, invited before. He was supposed to show me the garage. He wasn't going to because we weren't invited before I called him. Oh, all right. See... Here's the difference. We were invited to the Brown household, not the Braun household. Oh. Yeah. The Browns live in Surrey. Oh. Just so you know. I thought it was odd that the address was in Cicero, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, Boxing Day is not what you were expecting. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, this weekend. Now... On, on, I, I, actually, before I even ask no the question, I, <laughs> Do you, I, I don't because you I don't have, have so many different ways. Make me come yeah, up with an answer. Yeah, <laughs> so many different ways that I want to go with this. Um, you know, going back to the concerns that we mentioned last week about Saudi Arabia and what we races one really means mm-hmm. when you're willing to go to go to Saudi Arabia. Honestly. As much as I was looking forward to this race, you got to ask the same question about Turkey, too. Yeah. Their human rights record is just as bad, and we didn't hear a peep about it all weekend. I mean, yes, there was the diversity statement, which... Again, I'm sorry. Diversity statements are awesome if they are backed up by action. Where's the action? Yeah. But I'm also, like I said, I'm torn because this was one of the tracks that when I heard we were going back to, we'd heard so many great things about it and about the racing there and the stories that have happened that I was looking forward to it. And then? Honestly, I'm still hoping that it gave us a good race. Definitely an unusual and an unusual race in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. But I still want to see what a normal race would look like here. Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't think, in a lot of ways, I think the potential that we had here and that we saw, 
yeah, we came away from Imola and we came away from Portimao saying these looked like fantastic races. It was cool. I'm glad we got to go to them. I think Turkey's got a bigger potential. It's my hope. So I think the reason you think that it's got big potential is because we didn't see what was possible. We saw what was possible at Emila and Portimao because it was beautiful race weekend. It was like idyllic conditions. Yeah. And this had every strike against it. Honestly, we had rain, which, yes, it, it's a game changer and it's something that we have to deal with, but it's not like ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. We had rain for both qualifying and the race, which meant everything was all mixed up which you know I have issues with. Everything was all mixed up. But it was mixed up for the right reason. So let's right. let's be clear about that in terms of... It was you, not artificially... Right. You shouldn't have issues with why this weekend the grid w- was mixed up. Lent strolls a whole nother issue. <laughs> Beyond that, though, I mean, truly, it, it was fair the way this was done. And, and this was the way I'd want a grid to get shuffled. But we had two days of rain. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also did have an artificial element happen in that they repaved the entire track 11 days ago. So there were, well, there was a couple of things. (laughs) That was only part of the issue. That was a large part of the issue, Mm -hmm. but it was only part of the issue. Okay. Um, And and even, I mean, taking that aside, I I, I don't even have a problem with that. And I, I... you know, from what we have seen of the new track so far, the way I would rank it from worst to best, I would say as much as Magella was an exciting race too, it wasn't a great race. Mm-mm. It was it was kind of dull once things settled down. I would say Mugello and then Portimao, Imola, but they're pretty close. And then Turkey. Was the worst or the best? Going from worst to best. So the last one I said. I I think Turkey was the best racing that we've seen on the new tracks. Okay. As much as it wasn't normal racing. Even for Turkey, it wasn't normal racing. It was good racing. There was a lot of really exciting things that happened. How many of those things would have happened under normal conditions? Or how many of them... I don't know. Are, were exasperated by the magic combination of brand spanking new tarmac and tires that were inappropriate for brand spanking new tarmac. Yeah. One of the things, though, that we do know, and as much as we want to know how these cars were going to handle this track, because they are so different from what has run there previously, is that Turkey was known as a track where there were a lot of opportunities for passing in a normal race condition. We didn't see that as much here, but I mean, there there was passing with, with things as sketchy as it was, but that's not something that Imola was known for and nobody knew what the deal was with Portimao. Right. So that that's why I was really interested to see what this was going to look like in a real and and I'd love to see Formula One go back from that perspective because I want to know what this track would really run like. Okay. So 
Obviously, none of that happened. Right. So issue number one, and we first got where everyone came to Turkey all excited because of the history of racing at Turkey and how well the track had been, how much the drivers love running it, the opportunities for passing, all of that stuff. As you mentioned, and as we heard all this weekend, 11 days prior to the race, the track was resurfaced. And I think Portimao was resurfaced about a month or two prior. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Portimao had a similar situation, but the track was a little older. Right. 11 days. It doesn't appear that we had full curing of the, the tarmac that was put down. Which was problem number one. Problem number two was the race promoters recognizing that this was a potential issue going into the weekend. Not quite knowing exactly what to do and how to deal with it. Thursday night did a track did a washdown of the track. Oh, so they and it was not completely dry Friday morning for free practice one. Oh, even better. So that was where we started hearing the first complaints. Because, and just to back up for a second, in case anybody doesn't understand, new tarmac exudes, because tarmac is made mm-hmm. of, you know, it's it's asphalt, it has oil in it. Mm-hmm. That is part of its process. And it exudes that oil and gets an oil surface on it. And the way, the whole thing about tracks is that they lay down rubber on top of that Mm-hmm. And what they call burn, burn it in. Um, and so that's what gives them grip is the rubber that's stuck on top of the tarmac. Well, it's, it's two things. That's one. The other, and it's something that Turkey had been known for. It. But yes, so we have brand spanking new tarmac. We have the hardest compound tires. And... We ha- they washed the track down, so we had a wet track for free practice one. And, and I think it, the, the temperatures were a little cooler, too, on top of it. Yeah, there was, which, I mean, it, like, I mean, it was it a was a, tri- it was a trifecta of badness. Um, they essentially created the Formula One version of ice skating. Yeah, um, we saw more spin-outs in dry conditions on Friday than I think we've ever seen at any circuit before. Exactly. It was it was a little crazy. Um, so a lot of concerns about what was gonna what was the track gonna look like, what was gonna happen, and then all of a sudden somebody checked the weather report and said, Uh oh, it's gonna rain. There there was the threat of rain outside of that though, in, in an attempt to try and make things better, which it didn't really help, but in, in an attempt to make things better, overnight Friday, and apparently it was like all night Friday from like the moment that the the teams got off the track until seven, eight o'clock in the morning, the organizers got a hold of a handful of Renault Clio Cup uh, sports cars, okay, um, comp- compact hatches, and ran the track all, all night <laughs> long. <laughs> Can you imagine? All in an attempt to try and get some rubber down onto the track and to try and wear down some of this surface unfortunately it rained on saturday so all that work gone gone right out the door okay so now we have an ice skating rink that is now wet 
And we have, I mean, the entire weekend, we saw no slicks on the cars after outside of free practice. Mm-hmm. They were running inners and wets all the way through qualifying. And keep in mind, they get two sets of wets and four sets of inners for intermediate tires for the race weekend. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, historically, and fortunately, I don't think Pirelli has been doing this, but historically, they would make a set for inners and two sets of wets for every race weekend. Yeah. Like, Bahrain got a set of enters and wets. It's in a desert. (laughs) But we had one, not Bahrain, in Abu Dhabi. We had rain in Abu Dhabi one year? Once. Yeah. Last year. Singapore, where it never rained. Yeah. We got rain. rain. My, my thing is, you know, okay, so make the unique set in for Australia. Make sure they're on hand. And mm-hmm. if they don't use them in Australia, give them back to Pirelli and have them move to the next race. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I've never understood about Formula One is... In a situation like that, where you have tires that you don't use, if they are the same compound in terms of softness, why do you destroy them anyway? I know. I've never understood that. And all this talk about sustainability, why these tires, if they're not used, you still destroy them. And it's particularly upsetting around the intermediates and the wets because that mm-hmm. is the same compound tire that doesn't change yep um that is the tire there isn't like 14 versions of an intermediate tire it's one tire so anyway they've had four sets of intermediates and two sets of wets to run every bit of track time so three qualifying sessions in the entire race this weekend because it rained the whole time mm-hmm. um and you had the single best experience at the end of qualifying because your favorite driver. Well, before we let, let's talk about the dry tires and and what happened there. Um, So Pirelli actually explained why they brought the hard tires. One, they were being conservative, but they were also, they were working off of what they knew of the track. They didn't know that, the track was being resurfaced. and, and Nobody had, picked up the phone? Nobody told them. They had absolutely no idea until after it happened. If they had had, you know, a month's notice or so that this was going to happen, and especially if there was the communication that they would expect to get from most organizers, and they don't lay this fully on the feet of the, of the organizers of the Turkish Grand Prix. They also are pointing a finger at Formula One as well. But if there was the normal level of communication, they would know enough about the construction of the tarmac that was getting put down that they could make some reasonable assumptions. They had no data. It absolutely nothing. They went with what they knew about the track in the past and knowing that it has a history of being abrasive, they went with the harder tires. Interesting. You know, we talked earlier this year about how these wild card races like with you know two race weekends could be fun because we wouldn't have any data never in our wildest dreams did we think that the result would be an ice skating rink yeah so all the drivers a lot of the drivers really hated the resurfacing however what we hear is that because it had been so long 
since Formula One had run on it. There had been settling. The track had the, the track surface had not been particularly well maintained. It was not in a state that if they had not resurfaced it, it was going to be safe. Okay. It was too bumpy. There were there there were problems. So they were kind of backed into a corner here. And keep in mind, this was an 11th hour decision, and we all know that. Yeah. So. <clears throat> you want to talk qualifying. I wanted to, well, I want your, I want you to tell our fans, um, without losing our clean rating, what you said when your favorite driver qualified on pole. I was angry and not my favorite driver. That was favorite with the sarcasm marks on either side of it. You were you you were ticked. I was. I So contrary to your whole, you know, the weather and the tarmac, they mixed up the grid and everything was all, you know, herky-jerky all over the place. And this is what happened. And you should suck it up, which is what you tell me when my guy doesn't make it on pole. So, and he deserves to be on pole. So from the perspective of, in terms of a grid getting mixed up and being completely out of the ordinary, unexpected, this is the way I would want it to happen. Okay. And, and I, I freely accept and acknowledge and agree with that. How, But I will also say, that the only possible way for Lance Stroll to end up on pole is in a situation like this. Not because he's any good, but because luck of the draw happened to work out that way. <laughs> okay. I don't care what the guys over at Sky say. It was luck of the draw that worked out that way. That it just so happened that they were able to turn switch those tires on because that design of the Mercedes because it still is a Mercedes, that design of the Mercedes, as we all know, was not known for being particularly gentle on its tires. Mm -hmm. That was a struggle with that design. It worked out in Racing Point's favor, which is fantastic in that one situation, because it hasn't worked out well for them anywhere else. Okay. You're not giving an inch, are you? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Daddy bought him a team. Daddy bought him a race seat before Daddy bought him a team. Oh, and by the way, Daddy bought a racetrack too. I, I, All I know is I'm going to earn my seat. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you, 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 will, you will earn it more than Lance Stroll has. Should I ever get the honor of driving an F1, I will have earned there my you seat. Go. I, I will I will also say this. One, he held on at the front a lot longer than I expected him to. I yeah. And honestly, and and this is one of the things that actually really did surprise me about this race in general, is I expected given the situation, given the the wet conditions, given the low traction situation that everybody was dealing with that you know we had a lot of cars run off but it was not the carnage that i expected i had visions of turn one looking just like that race restart in uh um in mugello a couple of weeks ago that we were just going to have 
cars flying all over each other because some were going to have traction and some weren't. And nobody was going to be able to get out of the way fast enough. Um, the fact that we went 58 laps with only a single virtual safety car. I'm stunned. And only, what is it? I think two tech, two people retired during the race? Uh, I think it was three. So I'm... I, I, I need to double check because I'm not sure what the heck happened with Kevin Magnuson because I thought they had retired him. But then we heard talk from Sky that they didn't retire him. But now I'm reading that actually he was retired and that's part of what got him out of getting a penalty. Mm. So I don't... I, I need to figure out what, what happened there. So even if it was three whole people <clears throat> that retired from the race... Honestly, let's, let's just absorb the fact that that's pretty stunning. It was raining. We still mm-hmm. didn't have an actual safety car, just a single virtual safety car. People kept it clean. And I got to tell you, some of those spins on track during the race, I was stunned that they didn't hit anything. Okay. So Max's big spin on the straightaway mm-hmm. where he pitted immediately afterwards. As much as he said that was for a flat spot, I'm not sure I believe it. <laughs> he didn't get out of his car to get new underpants. <sighs> yeah, he, he probably needed them after that spin because that was big. <laughs> and it was, and, and, and this is one of those, and there were a couple of them, the fact that he managed to have that spin and didn't really go that far off the track and recovered on the track and didn't end up in a wall. I mean, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, his guardian angel is out drinking now. For for pretty much every single driver. Because I don't think that there was a single driver who retired because of damage due to an incident. Mm-mm. I don't think so. Which is amazing given all of the the issues that everyone had out there. I mean, all of them were really really good about not just playing bumper cars with each other mm-hmm. um all right so net net the right person at least won the race well before we even talk about winning because oh. there was qualifying and there were some issues with qualifying yeah yeah let's talk about that <clears throat> so th- there was the whole now admittedly it wasn't as bad as korea where we were in the middle of a race and all of a sudden there was a fire truck on a track. Okay. Or Singapore when there was a guy walking on the track. That too. Um, or the dinosaur on the track. It, it was not that bad. However, Q2 started before they had finished clearing off um, Nick Latifi's car. And more specifically, the crane that was carrying Nick Latifi's car was not fully off the track now it was in a runoff area okay um but it was not fully off the track and the drivers were a little upset by this oh that was a little dangerous so apparently the word that had been passed to race control was that while yes the crane was still on the track when um the session started and they knew it was going to be on the track when the session started the initial word that was passed to race control was that they expected to have it off the track before the cars got to that sector. Oh, okay. That wasn't what happened. Uh-oh. 
it took a little bit longer to get it off the track. So everyone was a little upset. Michael Massey acknowledges that it, it should not have gone that way. Um, and they are going to be reviewing their procedures to address it. Um, the drivers were pretty universally ticked off about this. Um, saw no reason why they couldn't have delayed the session by another five minutes to make sure it got off the track. Um, and, and that will probably be what happens in the future. That makes sense. But at least it was not as bad as the fire truck that was on the track before the flags got thrown. <laughs> well, you know. A little anxious there. <laughs> um, the other thing was, so we had the, the yellow flags um, going into Q3. Mm-hmm. Um, well, during Q3. Specifically during Lance Stroll's lap in Q3. Um, and Kevin Magnuson was pissed after, I think it was Q1, for drivers that he didn't believe were slowing down. And just that everybody was brought in to get reviewed. And only two drivers got penalties. Everybody else, and, and including Lance Stroll in Q3, the race, uh, the, the marshals said, not the marshals, but uh, the race stewards said that when they looked at the data, while... What made it difficult was because of the changing conditions, track times were increasing. However, when you looked at the data around the energy that was being put into the power unit by the driver at those points, they could see that despite the improvement from the rest of the track, they were lifting through that area. Oh, okay. So that's why most of them, including Lance Stroll, their lap time stayed. But they acknowledged that the track was improving, which is why times were picking up. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's awesome how much data they really have. That said, there was a lot of anger and frustration over the number of stuff that it was determined to be addressed after the race. Mm -hmm. Some of it, I think, is because since the track hasn't hosted a race in a while and they didn't have the prep time like they had at some of these other tracks, there were things that were not installed, whether it was camera angles that weren't fully sorted or something along those lines that I think made it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, we had gotten to a point where I think we had seen a decrease in the number of incidents that the marshals were saying that they would investigate after a race to have it happen as much as it did this weekend was a bit disappointing. Yeah, I agree. It's it, <clears throat> you, you want them to have those decisions made in the race so that they can affect the race. Yeah. So you want to talk about the win and how the race went. Well, first I need to give a shout out to the two commentators for Sky Sports for some of the best lines heard at a Grand Prix. Well, specifically, you you want to call out Ted Kravitz on the roof of, of the, the paddock building. But we don't know if he had his pirate spyglass with him. No, he didn't mention that this weekend. No. But was he the one that called the track Slippy McSlipperson? Yes, that, that was Ted Kravitz this weekend. <laughs> that, that the track was Slippy McSlipperson. And then there was David Croft. Who described one of the quarters as faux rouge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, and they were like right back to back to each other. They were. <laughs> it's like, whoa. 
Yeah. So they kept me entertained. And and that that's something you got to give these commentators credit for. And it's one of the thing one of the things that I really like, especially Ted Kravitz, is he is got a great personality mm-hmm. out there. And especially when he is excited, and when he is really into a race, you can tell. Mm-hmm. And it it's contagious. It truly is contagious. Well, you know, it was the race a couple of weeks ago. Well, it was the first early part of the season that we were having one of the more boring races. And he had talked about possibly maybe one of the teams would come in and, and, and change tires. And he started going, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's quite fun. Um, okay. So shocking to everyone. Lewis didn't just win his seventh world title, but he actually did it by winning the race. Actually, you know, from watching the start of that race, you wouldn't have called that Lewis was was going to win. It was looking like this was going to be, and, and as I quoted it to you, it was going to be another one of those those times where Lewis not only won the championship, not by winning, but unusually it would be him winning the championship not in Mexico City. <laughs> well, I've gotten to the point where I'm so used to, it, you know, you get down to those math equations. He only needs to have four more points than somebody else. or mm. He just needs to finish ahead. It doesn't even matter where. Just finish ahead of that person in the points. Um, and he inevitably wins the title not on the podium. And yeah. whether or not it's in Mexico or not, it's he's like not on the podium. So all... I've always laughed at that particular moment because all of the fanfare around being world champion is going on. And the poor guy that won the race, Uh he's like, um, me, what about me? You know, I actually won a race. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I will say I did not miss the car lift to the podium that they did in Mexico city last year. But that was still cool. Even though he wasn't on the podium. No, I think he was that was year. He? Yeah. It was cool. I, I, I don't miss it. Mm, okay. Um, but I just thought it was really super cool that he won the race that won him. Yes. The world championship, number seven. He is now tied with Michael Schumacher. I think it may be the last big record that he has to break. He's now at the tide point. He is... But I will say this, it wasn't just that he won the race. He had to work to win this race. And that's this the other part of it. This was not a race that he had that he had pull for or he made it up into the front of the the pack within the first two or three laps. No, you're right. He worked for this <clears throat> one. He started at sixth. It was not clear that he was going to win this race ten laps in. No, he was down more than a pit stop. When Stroll, your buddy, was winning this race. Lance Stroll finished this race exactly where he belonged. Where did he finish, by the way? Bottom half of the top ten. Okay. Pretty close to... Last I saw around ninth, and then I stopped caring. (laughs) But his teammate, second. And I have no problem with Sergio Perez being... I think Sergio deserved it. And Sergio, 
yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge Sergio Perez fan, but I, especially after his McLaren years. Um, but I respect the guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's a decent driver, and I think he belongs in Formula One. Unlike Lance. And we cannot forget the person that rounded out the podium trio. The guy that had not been on the podium for over a year. He had a hell... Okay, Sebastian Vettel, to to be completely fair, had a hell of a weekend. Mm-hmm. He had a weekend that he has not had in a very long time. Um, now, admittedly, he ended up in third because Charles made a mistake. Yeah. Made a, made a fairly big mistake. And he was right there at the moment to capitalize it. And... That was, but he has had probably the best weekend he has had in a very long time. And I gotta say, if you're Sebastian Vettel and you look at where you're headed next year, if what Sergio pulled off is any indication, he could be in for a halfway decent year. Now, again, the limitations of that car are still the limitations of that car. Sergio Perez is one who is known for being incredibly gentle on tires when he needs to be. Mm -hmm. And it's been a struggle with that car. I don't think, and and Seb is not exactly known for being gentle on tires. So he may struggle with it next year. 21 may be a better option for him if they get the design right. Oh, that's always the big question mark. Yeah. But, I mean... It's this is where I will remind you how fickle pundits are. When Stroll was on pole on Saturday, mm-hmm. the pundits were talking about whether or not he was championship material and whether or not he could, you know, was he going to be able to prove the the detractors wrong and all because, you know, he, here's this new 101st different pole sitter in all of Formula 1. Like we're down to those types of things. And then today, they, you know, it was, as he was leading, it was, he's doing a magnificent job and he's doing a magnificent job. But when his tires went out from underneath them, and that's what happened. It happened to both the racing points. Yeah. That the tires went out from them. And when that happened, that was, that was over. Sergio managed to get the tires switched back on and Lance didn't. But you heard a lot from the, the pundits at that point of, you really got to feel for Stroll. You really got to. Mm-hmm. You guys do. I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He finished that race where he belonged. Um, now, the coolest thing about the end of that race was them pulling in to the the podium pieces, you know, where they have little mm-hmm. stop bars. And you get a good camera shot of Lewis's tires. Yeah. He took intermediate tires, ran them for 40-something laps. Which is honestly unheard. I've never seen that at any race that we've ever seen. And essentially ran the tread off the tires and created slicks. So the man... Okay, this year alone, he has won a Grand Prix on three (laughs) wheels. And he's invented his own tire. Well, he... he Let's be clear. He was not the only driver that 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 ended up in that kind of a situation. 
Um, and if you looked at the tires f that were coming off the other cars, the intermediate tires that were coming off, they were all in a very similar state. What happened to have worked well was that conditions had improved just enough mm -hmm. that th because they had burned the tread off and the traction was as poor as it was, that they could get away with continuing to run. Sebastian Vettel said it was any and, and, and even the commentators were saying it. They ran those intermediates al at any other track in those conditions, they would have been off the inners and onto the slicks already. Mm -hmm. But because the conditions were so bad there and attraction the was so bad that nobody was since the inners seemed to be working, nobody wanted to take the risk of going to slicks and them not working and right. not being able to turn them on if they moved to slicks sebastian said that that would have been 10 seconds easy mm -hmm. that would have been a race win if they wanted to take the gamble nobody was willing to take the gamble right so and we didn't have a, a back marker that had nothing to lose mm -hmm. that was willing to say, well, if I can get 10 seconds, let me see what I can do with it. Well, honestly, if they were going to do it to anybody, they could have done it to Valtteri. They could have done it to Valtteri. Because, I mean, talk about a giant spin mm -hmm. and uh, issues in the early parts of the race. And you got a feel for him. But yes, I think that one of the things that made this race so spectacular beyond the fact that, yes... All of the races prior got him to the point of winning the seventh world championship is that he did it by working hard. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just because he was out in front and he led from the beginning and it was it was a done it was done and dusted on lap two. Um, he worked at that. He made the passes on the track to get to, to that spot. He I mean, there there's no chance I will believe that Lewis is not the greatest racing driver of all time at this point. I think there's even more of a case to be made now than ever before. Um, yeah. Now, I will say not all of the drivers were particularly thrilled. And, and we haven't heard the feedback from everybody, but not all of the drivers were particularly thrilled with how the race turned out. Not from a standings perspective, but from this fact of the conditions were so bad and traction was so bad and... and it was, by all comparisons, a much slower race than anybody expected, and they had to work for it a lot more. Um, George Russell, in particular, was, you know, I like running in the rain, but this was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he turned around and said, you know, probably sitting on the couch as a spectator, this was fantastic. But as a driver in a situation where there is absolutely nothing that you can do, the rain is only part of the issue and, and this extreme low grip type situation that makes the drivers look like chumps for no reason. He didn't like that. I'm glad you brought up George Russell for a minute mm -hmm. because there was an interview with him that I thought was incredibly endearing and it was with Martin Brundle yeah. and Martin Brundle interviewed uh, George Russell and he said before the well, was Martin even opening it up I was it, that's where I was headed was he even started with um, you know you're talking to the you're talking to the driver that crashed his his Tyrrell on the way to the grid or his something. brand new Tyrrell and 
you know, just so you understand that where I'm coming from. And mm-hmm. then he, he launched into his questions. That conversation, watching those two racing drivers commiserate over the spin from last race. Well, you know, and it wasn't just that because Martin then went on to talk about, well, Senna bend it here and <laughs> Schumacher did one of them here and Lewis did coming into the pits here and all, but he didn't mention Roman Grosjean in, in uh, Azerbaijan. No, he did not. <laughs> but it was, in, there was something just endearing about it. It was, it was what you would have expected a dad to wrap his arm around a guy, uh, his son and say, mm-hmm. I've been there and I get it. And you just, you, you, I felt that connection in the racing community that says we've all done that and you can't beat yourself up too much about it. And he even pointed out somebody else that had gone off into the woods, you know, to kind of recollect himself before he came back on the grid. And he goes, at least he didn't have the camera on him like you did. And oh, it was uh, Kovalainen. I thought it was Heike. And, um, you know, it was that same thing. And, you know, nobody would think less of you if you'd cried. It, it would have been yeah. okay. And it was just, that was absolutely, that's the heart side of it all. Mm-hmm. You, you see that and you go, oh, man. And and then you turn around and you see where the kid grew up because, not Russell, but Lewis had those things. Mm-hmm. And Lewis had things that were like a bad day <clears throat> would affect his time on the track and the stupid things he would do. And it wasn't all that long ago. But that's in our lifetime of watching Formula mm-hmm. One. And yet we watched the fact that he, once he started to put it together and he matured into his talent, it's been wow. Yeah. And, you know, I can only hope, I have a lot of hope for, for George. I like him as a person right now. And as an up-and-comer, I just hope that he gets the opportunity to show what he's worth. So, in terms of personalities on the grid, and as much as we hear a lot about Daniel Ricardo and the Honey Badger and, and him smiling and all of that, honestly, I think while he is in the top three of the best personalities, I think it's probably a combination of George Russell and Lando Calrissian Norris at the top mm-hmm. um, in terms of the best personalities on the grid right now. And from that perspective, the, the more affable folks, um, it, it's really those two and then Daniel Ricardo. Yeah. You know, as much as a lot has been made, especially prior to this year about Lewis Hamilton and his superstar status and and how he was one of the biggest names to break out of just being Formula One in terms of personalities on the grid. Really, it's those three. And they've taken up the mantle from folks like Jensen Button and some of these others who have since moved on. Well, I think the difference is Lewis has taken on superstardom across platforms, a clock, mm-hmm. you know, these three, um, and Carlos Sainz, I think, is the third in the young group. Um, he is, it, is, but not as much. Um, but Lando and George, particularly, they're hysterical. But they stay in their their swim lane of the race. They're they're the racer. They're the the boy next door racing kind. Yeah. 
And they're the next Jensen. They're the next Jensen and Mark is what I see those two becoming. Well, keep in mind, Lando in particular has managed to pick up a following on social media, on Twitch of all places, because he is, and, and Max Verstappen, as much as Max Verstappen is known to be a gamer as well, Max doesn't embrace the social media channels. Max doesn't do the streaming. He doesn't do any. Lando Norris embraced Twitch and streaming of not just this game, but all kinds of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one when when the driver and we talked about this back in the spring when the drivers were doing the esports events. Lando was probably the big personality that drove the popularity of those events and it was getting the word out about how lando was being received that i think drew some of these other folks in that's why johnny herbert started to play along and damon hill started to play along and you know will buxton started to play along and Charles Leclerc finally decided, yeah, this might be a good idea too, and we can do that. <laughs> Him and Alex Albin apparently have um, their friendship budded through this kind of a thing. I mean, it's, yeah. And I just, I, I'm excited to see what the youth of Formula One are coming and bringing to the, the table. Um, because Lewis is going to retire. Mm-hmm. Eventually, someday, Kimmy's going to retire. <laughs> um Vettel is going to retire. We're going to lose the old guard. And it's what are, what is, what's up and who's, coming. Who's going to take the place? And my hope is that the people that take the place, for as good a racer as Max is, he's not necessarily the nicest guy. He, he's not a good statesman for the sport. And that's what George particularly. Mm-hmm. and George and Lando both. And Lando... Lando's got the humor. Mm-hmm. George has got the statesman. And the two of them together are a phenomenal pair. But Lando's got the wit. He he does. And it's going to be very interesting to watch McLaren next year. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be fun. George, I think, because of his boyish looks, he's, he looks younger than he really is. Kendall. And all, all of that. Kendall. I think what George brings to the table is that that heart thing it's that hope thing it's the you feel it when george beats himself up about something you, you yeah you you understand and that's gonna hold him good i mean if he can just hang in there if he can get himself a seat at a team that's competing whether it's william starts competing or he can get moved up through the system i hope for him i mean I would be really interested to see a Valtteri Bottas George Russell pairing. Mm-hmm. I think the personalities would mesh very well, and it, I, I, I think they would be very competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. That could be a very interesting pairing to watch if that happens. Yes. All right. On that note. Yeah, that's all our stories. So. We've now celebrated appropriately. Yes. Are, are we going to go have our minister in soup and a glass of wine to join with Lewis Hamilton's celebration? Well, first I was going to see if I could spray a bottle of champagne better than Total Wolf. Um, if you do that inside my house, I will hurt you. Oh. And on that note, <laughs> we'll call it a show. 
are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.